If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I've heard these words all my life. And I'm not sure if it's super true or not, but I do love what I do, but I still sweat for my job. <laughs> I wanna know what everyone's career is and how did they get to that point in their life? Because let's face it, nothing is cooler than hearing someone's journey. This week, I'm behind every story. What's up, everybody? My name's Jason, and this is Behind Every Story. If this is your first time with us, let me explain what's happening here. I love stories. I love hearing stories. I love being enveloped in stories. I love being a part of those stories, from comic books to films, songs to jokes, sitting around a campfire with your friends, or sitting in an audience filled with strangers being enveloped by someone's story. I love hearing stories, and even more so, I like hearing behind those stories. I'm the kind of guy who will watch a movie and then immediately put on the director's commentary because I want to know everything behind it. This show is the proverbial director's commentary on the movie of life. Stories are what bring us together. Like No matter where you're from, stories link us. And during the quarantine, I believe we need these stories now with that connection even more than ever. This is episode number 12 of 50 of the COVID-50. This week, we're discussing what is your career and how did you get there? This is episode 13 of the COVID-50. Before we begin, a note of warning. The topics we explore may not be suitable for all listeners. This podcast deals with real people and real stories. These stories may contain and deal with graphic language, adult themes, sexual content, and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Jason, how did you get to be where you're at right now in your career? Well, uh, Jason, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate um, being on your show. And that's a great question. Thank you, Jason. Oh, you're welcome, Jason. So how did I get to where I'm at now? Well, I think that starts off as when I was young, I really wanted to be a comic book artist. Like in my mind, there was really nothing else that even existed. So in high school, I really tried to hone my craft and get better. And I, I read comics and I, I, I love the comic book world. But to be honest, I never really pushed myself that hard. So when I got to college, I went to Northern Illinois University and I really wanted to be a part of the illustration department. And I took the illustration classes and I tried, but, but as my very good friend John DeBerg once said, if you would have tried harder, you would have made it. And to be completely honest, I didn't. I didn't try as hard as I could have. I always viewed academia as something to get by, something to get done so I can move on to the next thing. And sadly, when I got to college, I started my career off that way too. I didn't really take it seriously. So by the end of my sophomore year at college, I failed my review. And pretty much what that meant is I could not continue on in the illustration department. I could take the classes, but I couldn't do that major anymore. So for the next semester, it was pretty heartbreaking. I really didn't have any aim or joy in anything until I took a class called Film Critique. And in this class, we got to watch movies and it dawned on me in here and it never had before that film could be art. Now, when I was growing up, 
I don't have any brothers or sisters, and my parents left me at home a lot. Either they would work and come home about six or seven at night, and I would just be there after school, or they would go out on dates and parties and stuff, and I was left home at a very early age. So most of my childhood that I remember was sitting in front of the TV. So much so that I used to play games guessing what the movie was going to be when it started by the font, the color, or the sound of the opening credits. And I got to be pretty good at it. So in short, I, I watched a lot of TV, a lot of movies. But I never really took them as something I liked. When I was young, my dad and I used to watch horror films. I've mentioned this on the show before, and that's what really drove me to make home horror movies when I used to make them as a kid. They're awful, I'll never show anyone, I, I promise. They're, they're awful. But in college, when it dawned on me that film could be art, it shook me. And not only did I enjoy it, but I threw both feet in. I took out every single book I could from the library on film. I read them twice. I watched documentaries. I went to sit with my professors during lunch when I could just to talk with them more about this. The, the idea that there was film theory just absolutely floored me and I needed more in my life. I took every film or video class my school could offer. And I ran through them. I got my degree. I was one of the top three in my graduating class in my department. Uh, we got an award. And I didn't think it was really an award until we showed up to the award ceremony and everyone was dressed very fancily. And I was there with a t-shirt and jeans because literally I was working on the film, on my thesis film, as I was going to this party. And I w went back to the film right after. So that took over my entire life. When I started doing my grad schooling at NIU, I got in free because I did really good on the GREs. However, they didn't offer anything film. So every class I took, I tried to spin it into film theory so I could learn and hone my craft that much better. My buddy Tommy Paulson went down to Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia and raved about it. So the following year, I followed him down there. I got my MFA in film production with an emphasis in post-production, and I just love making movies. So during grad school, I appreciate the education they gave me, but the one thing that I always kind of regretted was they taught us how to have the job once we got the big Hollywood job. There was never any in-between. So when I got out of school, I sent my resume to a hundred different studios. And I remember this very specifically because I found like 97 or 98 studios and I just reached out to two random places that sounded like media studios. And of those hundred places, after I called and emailed and wrote, wrote more letters, I heard back from two places and both of those places said they were not hiring. So unfortunately, I had to get a job. And I got a job working at a a very moral gutter of a company. And I'll leave them off for right now. I'll leave the name away from right now, but eventually I'll get into it. I worked for a company that didn't really care about its employees or its customers, so much so that when we worked overtime, we normally didn't get paid for that overtime. Or if we had to work weekends, we had to work weekends and we weren't getting paid. And the answer to this, whenever anyone complained, was, well, go ahead and quit. Someone else will take your job. So I decided that I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life. So a buddy of mine 
said his aunt was getting married and would I do the video? Well, I've done a wedding video before, but it's it was very lackadaisical. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I thought, well, why not put some of this film knowledge to use and make that, use that concept when making this wedding video? So I charged a whopping $300 to shoot a whole day of a wedding and a whole video and and a whole edit, which was about, I think, an hour and a half, maybe two hours long. And that was really my first wedding video. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah, the money was rough, but I loved what I was doing. Everyone around me was happy. It was fantastic to be around. So I decided to push this. I wanted to start my own business. So I chose a date on the calendar of when I was going to quit my job and start my own business. My wife and I, at that point, my girlfriend and I, sat down at Denny's one night, came up with a business plan, came up with a business logo and a name. And it was very important to me that I didn't use my name because I felt I wanted to grow this beyond me. This business was not about me. It was not the glorification of myself, but the glorification of what we could accomplish for our clientele. And one of the best business advice I've ever heard was if you go into business for the right reasons, good things will happen to you. If you go in to take care of customers, they will take care of you. If you go in with the mindset of just making money, you've already failed as a business. Now, I know this isn't everyone's ideal and this isn't everyone's game set, and that's fine. It's mine. And that's the belief that I take when I do business. It's all about my clients. So I did everything from commercial promos to live concerts and, of course, weddings. And I got to be pretty decent at it, so much so that I had to raise my prices to the point where people had to turn away. And it's a good feeling to say that. But now we're doing even more corporate work, which I think is even more fantastic because it allows us to be even more creative and more artistic with our decisions and our mindsets. And it's it was a long journey to get here, but I'm happy. Every day I wake up happy. Even the days when money is not coming in for a month or two or three at a time, I'm still happy. So we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna hear everyone's story about what their career is and how they got there. We'll be right back. So everyone has a career or a job. How did you get into yours? Ooh. Um, how did I get into my job? <clears throat> well, uh, growing up, my dad was a carpenter, and every time I screwed up on my grades, he would drag me out to the work site and make me work that miserable work site, and I hated it. Um, so when it came time to figure out what you're going to do, you know, in 17, you're supposed to figure out what you're supposed to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. 18 came. I didn't know what I was going to do. Graduation came. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then the recruiter got me. 
uh, saw me coming from a mile away. So I joined the Air Force. I originally joined wanting to be Bomb Squad um, because I had a choice. Um, I was bright enough to have a choice. Um, didn't make it to Bomb Squad school. And then because I was still bright enough to have a choice, they picked my second choice, which was satellite imagery analysis, which is pretty cool. You get to deal with satellites and look at stuff, secret squirrel spy stuff. Well, wasn't able to do that because that year I went home for Christmas. Chicago had a big old snowstorm shut down the airports. I was three days late, job gone. And then they made me wait around for about two months. And like, hey, right, good news. We got you a job. I'm like, okay. They're like, it's structures. And I'm like, okay, what's that? You'll be building stuff. And I'm like, like planes? I'm like, nope. <laughs> You'll be a carpenter. So <laughs> I joined the military to go see the world and learn a cool job. And I could have done my job at home. But I'm glad I, I did it because if not, I would have been the quintessential probably. Yeah, I probably would have ended up some incel, corpulent, <laughs> just awful human being. And, uh, you know, things work out the way they work out. Now I get to work inside uh, Cheyenne Mountain, which is pretty awesome. Um you know, yes, it's a big hole in a mountain, but still, it's pretty cool. We are clever monkeys, and we do clever monkey shit. What are some of the cool clever monkey things that you do? I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none. So I could weld. I could, I could do all the welding. I can't do it all good, but I could do all the welding. I could do cutting, metal cutting. I know sheet metal layout. I could fabricate to an extent. Um... A lot of that just has to do with what tools I have on hand. Unfortunately, working mm. with metal is not something you could just do with hand tools. Well, you can, but screw that. Um, I could do masonry. I've laid miles of flight line. I've um, done asphalt. I've I've gotten to go cool places and build things that weren't there before I showed up. And I think that's what's pretty nifty. Um, say what you want about the political status and all that stuff with the military, but uh, it treated me okay until it didn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. My name is Potato Johnson, and I am from Crystal Lake, Illinois. I am an IT business analyst. Uh, my degree is in drawing specialization in illustration. Um, so how I managed to get here is for lack of a better sense, just it, it's kind of like the snowball effect. Um, out of college, I couldn't find anything because I was looking for an illustration job and they don't exist except for like seven people. Um, at least if you want to make money. So um, I've worked at Red Lobster for like five years. And then I said, I'm done with this. I Screw this. I'm going home. So I moved in with my buddy Mark back in Crystal Lake. And I uh, basically taught myself flash animation, uh, Dreamweaver, anything I could on web design, hoping to find something better 
Um, and then finally, as I was running out of money, I got a job illustrating textbooks for a company and they create training and, um, like classes for hydraulic pneumatic lifts, chemistry, like all this different stuff. So I illustrated about 10 textbooks and was making like $25,000 a year. So then I was like, I can't make, I can't pay rent on $26,000 a year. This is ridiculous. So then I started looking for another job and I got a job as a web uh, content manager at my current position or at my current job. And from there, I just kind of took every job that nobody knew how to do or didn't want to do and kind of worked my way up. I went from web content management to um, an EDI coordinator, which is I went to Germany and trained to do that. And EDI is electronic document interchange. So it's basically you program the, uh, the mapping interchanges. So you program something so that data coming from one customer gets translated into the format that you need it for, for your business. And then it comes into the computer. And I do that with all the major um, customers to, in order to receive orders and send shipping notifications and stuff like that. And then I started tackling process issues because um, the EDI is kind of like a, a core thing. It follows the, the order all the way through the system. So I was having to figure out, okay, what are the bottlenecks in the system? What are people doing wrong that are slowing things down? Why are we getting fines and stuff like that? So that's how I got into the biz business aspect of it. And so now it's like basically like a liaison between um, the IT systems and the business people because business people don't know shit <laughs> and that's that's pretty much it my name is stella i am a person that works with people specifically sometimes as an event planner and i'm from chicago Uh, I am part event planner, part <laughs> co-working uh, founder, co-working space, part teacher, part everything. Um, just a weirdo. Um, how I got here was I figured that I would, you know, I really wanted to work with people and that could have been in any uh, aspect. And so what I did was I was planning my wedding and I thought, you know, I could really help other people go through this stressful time. I think most people become event planners because they, they're really organized or they like really pretty things. I was like, this is chaos and this is a shit show. Um, and I was like, I could totally help other people go through this. So really I should have been a therapist, but <laughs> I thought, well, event planner, you know, that'll be fun. And so that's, I just started, I threw an ad up on Craigslist and I thought, you know, let's, let's see what this is. And my first, um, and I was planning for other people. I knew I planned other events, but under my company, under my brand, um, I think it was $400 that I charged for a coordination client. Um, and again, I had done it before, but just to do it under my name was so different. And, uh, I had planned other events, but weddings are a whole other thing too. But 
that's how I did it. I just said, you know what? We're just going to see where this goes. That was 11 years ago. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm from Elgin, Illinois, and I am a self-described geek, lover of life, and hopefully a good person to listen to. Okay, so, so I, um, my wife and I own a small sandwich coffee shop, and um, I've kind of always done this my entire adult life. Um, I haven't had a job since I've been 18 that hasn't been involved with or supporting of a restaurant or hmm. bar or something like that. Um, and I think I just love it because I, I think that's truly the one place that I'm really creative that isn't, I don't want to say not made up. That's not the, the right way to say, it. but like I said before, like I, I said this again, I'm not the creative person. I can't really write music. I can't read music, but I, I love music. Um, I can't really write a story. I just have too much ADD and I, I want to get to the end. So it's like, I skip all over the place. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place, but as a cook or as a chef, there are, you know, there's number one, it's really frenetic. It gives you that kind of high, that, that, that creative rush that a lot of people talk about, um, you know, that you get from doing things. And then there's like almost instant gratification because you serve that food to somebody and they get it and they love it. Um, so it's like, it's like the best of all worlds in the ADD world where it's like, I do, I scramble, I do all this stuff, man, people loved it. This is great. Um, if they don't, then you figure it back out. So that's kind of what I've done my entire life. So I've been everything from a dishwasher to the vice president of operations for, um, a pretty big, uh, restaurant chain in the, you know, being in the Midwest. Uh, so I've kind of done all of that and everything in between. It's been a pretty cool ride. I am Chris, I'm a director of photography, and I am from Chicago. <laughs> uh, what I do for a living is I'm a cinematographer. And I would say that I've been a cinematographer since I was 16 years old. I went to a high school in Chicago that's a technical and performing arts school. So by 14, I had a, a major. My major was TV production. I had a, a mentor in that class that really took me under his wing. And he said, Charlie, you know, you have the eye of a cinematographer. And I said, what's a cinematographer? <laughs> and so he told me about the job description. description and I said, I am in. I like that idea. So every day in my lunch period before school, after school, I would be there learning as much as I could. So by the time that I graduated, I was already working in the field. And that's been the only job I've ever had. What turned you on about it? What turned me on about having cinematography be my career would be knowing that I would be interacting with a lot of different people all the time and that I would get to use visual media as an aspect to storytell mm. and to be able to convey my own messages that I wanted to send out to the world. Storytelling is important to you? Uh, storytelling is very important to me. How come? Storytelling is definitely important to me because that is definitely the one way that morals and ideas get passed down. It's a good way for us to be able to connect to a feeling or have empathy to something that we may not have experienced ourselves. There's many times that me just, as a man, I don't do a good job at conveying emotion the way that I want to. 
but a lot of times I'll show someone, you know, either a, sh- a short film or it might be a song mm-hmm. or a scene from a movie that just explains perfectly the feeling that I'm trying to convey. And I mm-hmm. get so grateful at knowing that it exists as a way of storytelling. My name is Brandon. I am a software developer. I am from Elgin, Illinois. <laughs> That's a long story. <laughs> uh, my career currently, <clears throat> my career is custom development uh, for IT systems. So I design and build everything um, from the server side all the way to the client side, depending on what the project is. So if you want to create a, an iPhone app, I do that and I make sure that it works with the servers and and all of that stuff. If you need to build a business dashboard or whatever the situation is, if it involves programming something, I do it. Uh, How I got here, it's I've kind of come full circle. I've done a lot of things uh, over the last 20 years. My, My first business was started in April of 1999. I was 19 years old. I was going to college. And at that time, computer science the computer science curriculum wasn't very good. Uh, I knew more than um, some professors I had. Some were really good, but but I knew more than many of them. There wasn't a lot of classes you could take on programming unless you went to one of the uh, you know marquee universities. If you go into Berkeley or, or MIT, then you're going to learn. But if you, you're not, which I didn't have the, the financial resources or the grades to get into an MIT or a, a Berkeley, um, then you're you're held back um, to you know what's possible until you reach master's level. You know once you're going for your master's degree, then they they started getting into the fun stuff. So looking at four years of college that I already knew how to do everything that they were going to teach me to do, I was very frustrated. I ran. I, I met a guy who had a group of of companies working with him. They're all small businesses, all one man shops sort of under this umbrella. And they all did stuff involving technology. Now this is 99, the dot-com bubble is, uh, you know, full swing. And uh, uh, so here's an opportunity. He said, you know, if you want to learn how to do this as a business, you know, I'll teach you, you know, you can come on up, you can work out of my offices. I'll provide you with a telephone. Uh, we have servers. So I'll provide you a server space, a workstation. Come on up. I'll show you all the business side of this thing and help you get clients and, and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, let's see what you can do. And it was really a smart idea, uh, as sort of an incubator without being an incubator. So I, I started my first business. I started coming up regularly. It was a group of guys uh, doing various things, all involving technology somehow. And I got my business off the ground. That lasted for a few years. And then they sort of, everything just, everyone kind of went their own way after the dot-com bubble collapsed. And I just continued with my business um, for a number of years. My name is Michael, and I'm a photographer-videographer in the Naperville area. So, on paper, I am a high school janitor. Monday through Friday, I pick up trays, trash, and I teach a business class in the afternoon with six of the most brilliant kids you've ever got across of. Some of them have dropship jobs. Some of them have um, jobs in doing marketing on Etsy. 
I mean, I'm not going to get into specifics of exactly what they do, but those kids are really smart and I want to just hand it to them real quick. But my other job is I am what I call the, the, uh, the Batman of photography. People don't realize what we do, but I shoot at least 30 to 40 weddings a year between me and my wonderful fiance. She's amazing in what she does. And that's what we pretty much do is I'm a janitor by day and a photo by night. And that's how I roll. Did you start as a janitor yeah. or did you start as a photographer? Well, okay. So how do I got into photography? Is that what you're trying to funnel to? Yeah. So two years ago, I went, or many years ago, I should say not two years ago, because I feel older now that I'm looking back at it. <laughs> but Understood. 2015, <laughs> I was a lighting guy for concerts for two years. I toured for nine months. I got paid the best salary that I've ever gotten paid, um, other than the photo stuff. I'll tell you that much in a minute. But um, it was the hardest work on the planet. I was sleeping four hours a night. My coworkers were snorting coke in the bathroom, staying up for those four hours just so they could get to the next job. And they were like, it was the most detrimental thing that could have ever happened to me for those nine months. I hated every moment of it. And if you're an audio or a lighting guy for any traveling event, you deserve twice as much money and you need ha at least four times as much breaks because I hated every moment of it. When I got fired because I was like, fuck that shit, um, I was at the bar with the photographer. I realized when I asked him how much he got paid, he got paid twice as much for working half the amount of time. So I spent my last $350 that I had going on. I didn't even eat getting between there and the plane. Like I literally took hotel food that was in the lobby, like the snacks and shit, like cookies, and I put it in my bag. I ate it. And I bought a camera on eBay, like in the, the airplane lobby thing. I bought a, what was it? A um, 7D. And then that same weekend, uh, I like literally made a cheap Craigslist ad for 25 bucks an hour as a photographer for anything. If you wanted me to take a picture of a fucking flower, I was there. And I started that business there. My dad at the time was also a high school janitor. And he told me if I was going to come back, I was going to have to figure out something. So I went to school full time at night. I went to work at the high school for two years as a temp worker. So I didn't actually have a real job for two years. I got up at 5.45 every morning and texted my boss and said, what, what, what do you want me to do? And he would sometimes text me saying, just stay home. So I would wake up at 4.45, 5.45, go to a job at 6.30, come home at 3, go to school at 4, get home at 10, and do the same thing for two years. Then I became full-time at my job. And then at that point, that's when the real shit kicked off and I started shooting real weddings. And I'm not saying in a bad way, like real weddings, but like I got hooked up with a couple other companies because they knew that, you know, I got to stick. And that's, anyway, I got the stick. And at that point, um, I realized that I was more valuable because I spent those two years only buying gear. I spent all the money that I had at work and I spent all the money that I had on Craigslist buying everything that a person could ever possibly have for photos. And I could not figure out that existential barrier to me getting more money. And that's when I got hooked up with some of the bigger companies. That's when I built my own company. 
And that's when I realized those gatekeepers weren't the existential people that I thought were, they were. It was just myself. So all that to say this, I became a lighting guy. I took badass pictures after that point and was shoveling shit. And then I got from shoveling shit to picking up shit and taking wedding pictures. Um, my name is Marie and I am from St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I'm currently working as a retail eyewear specialist. Uh, and essentially what that is, is I kind of help people out picking out glasses. I kind of read their eyeglass prescription. I inform them what their prescription mean, uh, like means and what they need in terms of eyewear, the materials, what might best work for them in their lifestyle. I enjoy it. Um, I especially enjoy like having little kids put on glasses for the first time because that's a complete joy that I didn't think I would ever like see before. But having a little kid see for the first time is amazing. How come? Uh, because they can actually see the world again, like again, or maybe for the first time, especially like having a little baby come into the store and have their glasses put on. And then they just immediately smile because they can actually see their parents for the first time. It's an amazing, like, little sight. It's kind of like a miracle. Uh, I got to this job because I, I had a lot to figure out when I was diagnosed. Because I, the job I was working at, I was working for an urn company doing laser engraving and different photo stuff. And I could not work there anymore uh, full time. So I had to figure out a new job where I could work part time, but have the flexibility in case I did get sick or, you know, if the time came for transplant or anything like that, that I could actually take the time off and I wouldn't have to fight with the company over me being out of work. Um, so I did a lot of searching for a good couple months. And I found that this eye clinic that was near me was hiring. It was only like two miles away. And I could take the bus there. So it was, one, the most convenient thing. But two, flexibility. And three... I can learn new skills. So currently that's what it is. Uh, so once I get the transplant, um, I don't know if I'll stick around doing retail eyewear again. I might go back to what I was doing before uh, because I do enjoy working with photography. I do enjoy being more creative and hands-on and having something to do in that avenue of like production art mm -hmm. or I might try and find something completely different to do. Um, I'm currently something else I'm doing during this pandemic is I'm trying to learn blender and I think Ooh. I'm going to move on to maybe learning like after effects and different things like that. Um, 
so it's just kind of like we'll see what happens <laughs> <laughs> you know in the meantime this job at the eye clinic is giving me new skills and it's a good opportunity we are lauren and ryan we are wedding photographers and we are from chicago illinois Um, my career is I am a wedding photographer. I wanted to be a doctor initially, and I was actually in medical school. And that's when I actually found out I was pregnant with my son when I was first trying my doctorate degree. And then when my son was born special needs, I needed to find a career where I could stay home and make money and potentially only work weekends because my son required like round the clock care, you know? So I had a girlfriend reach out to me. She said she was looking for a wedding photographer. She couldn't find anybody that she liked. I offered to shoot her wedding for $500 and it was the best experience of my life. So I shot my girlfriend's wedding for $500 and everything that could go wrong at that wedding did go wrong and it was a disaster <laughs> and they were drunk and the speeches were bad. And But I went home that night and I laid in bed and I said, oh my gosh, I am going to do this for the rest of my life. I absolutely loved it. I loved the chaos. I loved that I could handle it. You know, my pictures weren't the best then, but I saw kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and here I am today, many years later. So career for me, uh, how did I get into my current career field? Well, <laughs> uh, it plays into certainly my relationship with Lauren. I was in IT uh, for many years of my life. I was a network engineer. And, uh, and, and it was a great career field and very rewarding. And I enjoyed it for a while um, when it was about building networks and fiber optics and hands-on, you know, boots on the ground. I loved it. But of course, like any career field, as you progress, um, they want to move you more and more into a managerial role. And as I became more and more of a manager, I became less and less in touch with the technology, you know, more mm -hmm. hands-off, more budgets, more management, dealing with people and personnel issues. And it, it, it wore on me. I, I really, uh, you know, started burning out, I would say probably around 2014 uh, heavily. And, and by 2015, I just wasn't really liking it anymore. Um, so I, I was kind of in that process of evolving. And then um, I did go through a divorce in 2015 as well, which changed my life quite a bit. And uh, ultimately, I, I relocated up to Chicago just to kind of get a fresh start. I jumped into IT again. I was starting my own IT company um, at that point. I was going to do IT consulting for you know small and mid-sized businesses, and that's what I did, and I was good at it. But I, I, it was hard for me because I wasn't passionate about it. And I'm very big. I'm Italian, right? We're big on passion. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, something's wrong. Something's missing. And, uh, and it's hard to live life like that, right? It's, it, it, there's, there's something to it. So around the same time, you know, and, and I was passionate about building a business that much I loved. I, I did love that aspect of it, but the technology side of it, I was less and less interested in. So I, I met Lauren, uh, she did photography. I have a family history of photography. My, my grandfather owned a camera shop and was a wedding photographer and videographer uh, part-time. And, um, so I, I just kind of dove into it. And then, of course, there was the business aspect of it, right? Here's, here's a business. Here's someone who's doing amazing, has an amazing product. And, uh, and, and I said, wow, you know, we can, we can combine forces. I knew cameras. I could learn, you know, the posing and all the stuff. And, and I said, let's, 
let's do this together. It's time. And uh, she was apprehensive, uh, rightfully so. It's, it's a big decision. But we, we finally agreed, hey, this is the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been been doing really well and, and, and really taking care of the clients. And that's what matters most to us in, in the business side is happy clients uh, having amazing wedding experiences. And it's been uh, it's been awesome. Yeah. This is Albert. I am an operations manager from Savannah, Georgia. My career right now um, is kind of in the rental house business, but for uh, a school and educational institute. Um, I always wanted to go to film school. I always talked about movies, things like that. So I had an opportunity to go to film school and learn and uh, get my master's degree. And then the economic crisis hit and they were offering a job and they weren't giving out too many jobs in the actual industry. So. I ended up taking a job and being an inventory manager, and I've been doing it um, for almost about 10 years. But I am looking a little bit and about making a move and maybe getting uh, more into production. Um, but it's, it's been good so far. My name is Rob. I am a content creator and content marketer, and I am from the Midwest in America. All right, well, this is gonna eat up an hour. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm a lot of different things. Um, number one easiest thing to say is I am a co-owner of a podcast network, uh, which is arguably if not the biggest by volume, it's one of the top by volume. Uh, I'm executive producer on over 120 podcasts. So I don't think you're going to find a lot of companies that big. Uh, there are obviously others that are bigger because they have bigger download numbers. That has never been our focus. Our focus is on the creativity end of it and giving people a voice. Uh, although maybe we're going to focus a little more on getting some numbers because wouldn't money be nice? I. Uh, so I'm an executive producer. I'm a podcaster. That's my main gig. Then again, I have my MBA in marketing. So I have become a professor at a university. I teach right now. I'm teaching digital marketing. Uh, hopefully that's going to move into social media and content marketing, uh, which are specialties of mine. Um, but I'm a professor there. Um, let's see what else. I'm a professional actor. I've been in movies and commercials. Uh, I had stopped for 18 years and just went back to it a couple years ago. And since then, I've done a bunch of student films and did another feature film. Uh, man, I, I've i done it all. But my, my profession right now, I'd say, is owner of a media company, podcast network, and college professor and professional actor. My name is Zach. I am an IT professional. I am from Aurora, Illinois, but I live in Fort Worth, Texas. So I work in hospitality. I work um, in IT on a help desk for a food service company. Um, I went to culinary school. My entire career, I've worked in restaurants for the most part. 
Uh, during culinary school, I decided I need to do something completely different. I feel as if I was going down the wrong path. Um, I drank entirely way too much. I partied entirely way too hard. And I went to a community college. If I would have went to a university, I would have flunked out. And I know that for a fact. So I decided that the military was the right way to go. Um, kind of following the footsteps of my grandpa because he served in Korea. I uh, did not want to do food service in the military, mainly because what you learn is how to read a recipe and how to measure correctly. You don't learn anything else. And that's from people who did it. So I was like, I want to do military intelligence because I think that I can do that long term as a career. Well, I didn't score high enough on the test and they didn't have any jobs open at the time. So I'm like, all right, well, my next choice is IT. I like computers enough. You know, I grew up in an era of MySpace where you could learn HTML just by messing with it, you know, messing with the coding to change the color or, or the font on your MySpace page. And so I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. I bet I can learn some other cool stuff. Um, I had a lot of fun in that. My whole university college experience was my AIT or my job training, which was in um, Augusta, Georgia. And so I was in Augusta for just over six months. Um, and, and from there I came home, went back to the restaurants, um, and I worked entirely too many hours, too many nights, all weekends, and I never saw my friends. I could never go out because it was always go home, sleep, go to work, go home, sleep, go to work. And so I'm like, I'm done with this. I found a job in IT that paid more, surprisingly, um, than what I was making in the kitchen. Uh, Anthony Bourdain says it best. If you're not going to get famous, get used to working on minimum wage for your entire career. And most people don't know that he was in his late 30s, early 40s before he started making real money. He was making eight, nine bucks an hour as a line chef pretty much into his 30s, late 30s. So he was broke pretty much his whole life. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want that. Um, and so I kind of got into the IIT side and um, I kind of fell into a couple of food companies doing IT. So my expertise kind of fit a niche that they needed and it kind of does. Like I have hospitality training that you cannot be taught in a classroom. You have to learn by doing. And you know, by doing that over 10 years, you pick up things and you're able to do your job that much better. My name is M. I am a podcaster and a homeschooler. Let's see, homeschool mom and volunteer and I am from Chicago, Illinois. Um, I don't technically have a career in the in an in a sense that I actually have an income. I don't, I don't, um, I volunteer, um, for four years, I volunteered as a, um, tutor, uh, in an elementary school, um, that is underperforming and under-resourced. And, uh, Molly and I actually go together and, um, and we help kindergartners and, uh, we tutor reading for second graders. And then we taught third grade math, um, with the curriculum that, that we used in our homeschool. And then, um, uh, and then I taught um, some classes for a homeschool co-op and then I podcast and I'm, I'm the brand manager for our podcast company, uh, Southgate Media Group. And, um, and I 
probably do 5,000 other things, but I can't remember <laughs> them right now. Like we wrote a book this year um, and I'm working on my projects. So I'm hoping that something I, oh, I'm starting, a, um, I'm starting to do voiceover work. So I, you know, I don't know. I feel like I have 400 um, careers, but none of, I don't make any money. <laughs> A lot of them are, a lot of them are labors of love. <laughs> yeah. Preaching to the choir on that one. <laughs> My name is Mark Allen Fishman. I'm an artist and comedian. I am from Homewood, Illinois. So my current job is director of sales and marketing for One Business Solutions out of Knoxville, Tennessee, but with brands nationally. I've gotten there after being a graphic designer since the first day after my college graduation, where I had been fired for being a print assistant by a very gentle man who sat me down, looked me square in the eye and said, son, you cannot cut a business card to save your life. And I looked at him and I said, sir, you could not be more right. And uh, I went, and this is way before people used Craigslist and anything like that to find jobs. And I basically just hit the internet as hard as you could back in 2004 and found a Craigslist ad by a very, uh, how do I put this? One of my people. I think that makes sense. Um, uh, he, he was trying to save a few bucks. If you get my, my drift, maybe if I said shekels, you would understand. Um, <laughs> and he was trying to save a few shekels in posting a job ad. And I talked to this guy and I called the business and just happened to luck out that the owner of the business picked up the phone and he says, hello, DGS engineers, how can I help you? And I said, yes, my name is Mark Fishman. I was just fired and I need a new job. And he's like, did you just tell me you got fired? I said, I sure did. And used that to spin my way into getting an interview. And uh, I was, I've been a graphic designer ever since. And uh, you can kind of go a couple different ways in that career path. Um, most, I would say, going towards like, developer coder types because that's uh, clearly a good spot for money and it's a way for people to leave you the fuck alone because they don't understand it. It's like auto mechanic. It's uh, just make the website, do the thing. Okay. Thank you. I, because I'm a creative writer and a creative thinker, I've leaned more towards the marketing side. So in my career, I've pushed to be more than just a pusher of pixels, but the person who asks the question, why, why are we doing this thing? Why a business card? Why this logo? And that has led me to where I'm at now, where I get to lead a marketing and sales team in a really cool industry, one that thankfully, even with the pandemic is still very much in need. And I get to be pushed every day to do things that I've not had to do professionally before. And I actually have underlings to do my bidding, which is everyone's dream. My name is Sarah. I'm a visual storyteller and culinary maven, and I'm from a podunk town in Iowa. 
I would consider my career to be my own business. While I've worked uh, in an office environment for the past 18 years, I don't consider it to be my career because I feel like it led me to the where I'm at now inadvertently. So I am a filmmaker and I've been a filmmaker for the past five years. And I started out with weddings um, just as kind of a, I was living vicariously through, through someone else who was doing weddings. And I just really loved it. And it took me back to when I was in high school and I used to um, take my uncle's JVC camcorder around and record little vignettes of different things. I remember recording um, something ridiculous. My, my, our, my friends and I, uh, we had a little friend group when I was probably like 19. I had these friends in St. Louis. It's actually how I met my husband. And uh, I decided to record parts of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And then on TV. So like, I didn't re actually record it. Like I put the, I put the camera and recorded the screen of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, not actually like physically recording it. And so of course I, I didn't even know what, what um, frame light frame rate lines look, were back then or anything like that. So, you know, you see this video and I, I've lost it now. I wish I could find it, but I would put myself talking in between like different scenes of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And I'm not sure why, <laughs> but I sent this tape down to them for them to to watch. And this was, you know, before, before social media and all that other stuff. So this was the way that, you know, you communicated with people. This was my way to like communicate a video to someone else. I just wanted to record something fun and special. And it was my own way of editing, even though I didn't edit it. I just recorded and then stopped and recorded something else and stopped and came back. So anyway, so that, that, uh, that desire was always in me. I just didn't know I had it. Um, to be a storyteller and to be a visual storyteller, most of all. And having the tools, at least now, or at least in the last five, 10 years, to make that possible for, for people with a lower, you know, with not as much to invest, um, I started doing that and it just grew and um, I loved it more and more. And uh, while I'm not doing as many weddings now because of, you know, personal reasons. Um, I feel like it's taken me into another direction that I feel like I can actually contribute something to, um, not society, but to the workplace because in the office position, even I have an office job now, which I really like, but again, it, it doesn't contribute all at all. I feel like I'm literally just helping my, my 85 year old boss use a computer, um, which is fine, but it allows me to do what I really enjoy and allows me to have my career. My name is Brett and I'm a writer and a musician and I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I honestly don't feel like I have a career. It's one of my struggles, I think, in a lot of parts of my life in that I feel like I just have a job and that the things I've always wanted to be my career never took off. And so I work in video production for a big, huge mega conglomerate we do marketing related stuff for big corporations it's not interesting there's no to me the word career means that you kind of have this ability to move up some stairs or something like that so i've made 
TV shows, couple feature films, failed in various ways at that. I've done music, never really made that self-sustaining, had little blips of success and things like that. I've been a writer, um, just again, haven't really had that success. So to me, when I find a career, it will be a point where I get on a ladder. I feel like I can climb upwards towards something instead of just putting a ladder up against a building and standing on the first rung. And yes, I make a decent enough living and whatever, but I just don't feel like I have what I would consider to be a career. And I feel like that's the thing a lot of millennials sort of feel like, and it makes you not want to start certain things because you're just like, eh, do I, am I up the ladder at all? My name is John. I'm a artist and a locksmith. I am from the west suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> uh, I have two careers. My day job, my actual job is as a locksmith. Um, the on my mother's side it is family business to be locksmiths right i was like born into it to some extent um but and this involves my second career my real career and my passion is uh being an artist fellow of some kind and uh i went to actually went to art school i went to american academy of art downtown chicago um same place like Alex Ross went to school and stuff and Jill Thompson, Steve Rude. Anyway. And, um, anyway, so when I got out of school, I had these aspirations of becoming like a, a freelance illustrator, but that, uh, just didn't really pan out. Like, uh, one, like, my art just wasn't there. I couldn't admit that at the time, but even after going to art school, like my skill levels weren't where they needed to be to be successful at that. And then since my skill level wasn't where it needed to be anyway, like um, I wasn't getting the few jobs that were really out there. Add that to, you know, the financial crisis that hit in the late aughts. Uh, you know, that's, kind of what happened. So anyway, uh, sorry, the story's a little long. So when I was in school, I was a manager at Blockbuster Video for like four years. And the last semester of college, I got fired because I traded some free rentals for some free pizza, right? And uh, at any rate, I got fired. I needed a job while I finished up school. And so I went to my grandfather and I was like, hey, can I just like uh, come sweep up, sweep the floors and just like work a little bit at the lock shop while I finish up school. And the real reason I went to him instead of applying for some other retail job is because I smoked a lot of weed at the time and I didn't want to like have to deal with a drug test. And <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got the job at um, the locksmith shop. And then you couple that with getting out of school and just not being successful as a freelance artist boom um all these years later i'm a professional locksmith guy i break into people's houses cars whatever you need i repair stuff you know sell locks blah 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 
that's my day job career. And now we'll just, so then my artist career, what ended up happening was long periods of stagnation. But then uh, around, around 2010, I got off up my ass and I started self-publishing comic books um, because that's what I wanted to do. And I became uh, over the in interceding decade from 2010 to 2020, um, you know, my art like <laughs> finally got to the place where it needed to be back in like 2007, um, where I'm actually like happy with my art. Like I, I know I'm a, a good artist, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so, uh, but there's, there's, there's something that's always kind of been like, I, I, I don't really have the ability to draw stuff that people want me to draw. Like I can't, I've tried to take on some freelance work and I've done for some random freelance work over the years. And almost every time that I do, I'm miserable. I don't like it. I hate it. And so I've, I came to the decision that where it's like, you know, I don't make my living doing art. So I will not create any art that I don't a hundred percent want to create. And so maybe that makes it more of a hobby thing, but I self-published comics. I make money off them. I go to conventions <clears throat> back when there were conventions before the pandemic. And, uh, you know, truth, dude, I'm so, uh, insider baseball. Like I was so, like C2E2. We, everyone was complaining because they changed the date this year and they had mm -hmm. it, had it at the end of February and everyone's like, Oh, that's so stupid. Oh, no one's going to show up because usually they have it at the end of March or in April. Well, I'm so glad it was at the end of February. Right? Yeah. Because it was, I did that show. It was a great show. It's a good, good one to go out on, I guess. Um, because every other show has been canceled. Um, I've lost money because of it, you know. But anyway, so those that's my career. Locksmith slash artist dude. My name is Sean. I am a showman and entertainment business owner, and I am from Chicago. Ooh, so I am a professional showman. That is my title. Um, I own an entertainment company called Do It All, but I do live events and um, understand the back end logistics, but most of all, the front end logistics of actually running the show and creating these unique moments for people to truly celebrate life and, and, and celebrate the moment that they're in. Um, so uh, it, it was definitely a journey. I started when I was like 18, 19 um, in the bar and bar mitzvah industry as a dancer. Uh, and I worked for a company that I was severely underappreciated um, and uh, taken advantage of until I joined a company called Charisma, led by a fearless leader and unbelievably gifted talent and individual um, named Marcellus Mars Lawhorn, and uh, which you know very de uh, know to a great extent as well. And he, um, he actually really pointed out to me. Um, that this was what I was born to do. It was actually a pretty special, it was that, it was that. And in another moment, but, um, it was, it was a school event that I did and he gave me a chance on the microphone 
and I, you know, you know, rock the party and we got done. Um, Mars, as you know, is a very intense individual. And so he pulled me aside and said he needed to talk to me and I'm thinking I'm in trouble. And <laughs> uh, he pulls me aside and has a long, dramatic pause looking into the universe until he turns to me and he says, there are two types of people that try to do this job in the industry. There are people that want to be MCs and there are people who are born to be MCs. What the fuck do you think you are? And then walks away. And uh, so he made me realize I was born to do this. And then um, maybe about a year after that um, of you know doing a fair amount of events with Charisma, well, my last trip to India, um, when I, just before my 21st birthday, uh, I went there for a bunch of my cousins getting married, uh, in like a one month span. And so, you know, we took this trip and they all, they, they did it so that, you know, my, me and my family can go, you know, to India and, you know, spend all this money to travel out there. And it, you know, it'd be well warranted, um, and convenient. But a few days before we left, um, we visited an all girls orphanage and I'll try not to get too caught up in the details of it, but, uh, it was probably one of the most like humble experiences of my life because um, this was an all girls orphanage that uh, had a lot of girls that experienced like, you know, vast, very crazy trauma in their lives. Uh, mm. More specifically, my mom was sponsoring uh, these two, uh, these two girls um, that there's three sisters and she was sponsoring the two youngest ones. And um, the youngest, youngest one uh, was probably the most um had had the most trauma from so they were put in the orphanage because their mother was murdered in front of their eyes like stabbed to death and so uh and if you're a girl in india like life already doesn't you know have your have your back um you're already kind of like looked down uh, as a secondary and taken advantage of so like being an orphan and a female is like is tough so after that happened, I mean, the, the youngest was maybe like two when when that when that situation happened. So she became mute, um, only talking very very lightly to um, only her sisters. So uh, my mom, I'm, I'm you know I'm great with kids, but my I'm you know on my way there, my mom was um, you know trying to warn me not to you know be too energetic because it might freak out this little girl. Uh, whichever case, you know you know, we got there, there was about 80, 90 girls. They were like asking us questions cause we were like from America and whatnot. And then, um, they, you know, they asked us all what we did for a living. My family talked about it. And then I told them I was in, you know, I was in school at the time in college for like advertising, but then I did entertainment on the side and they were like blown away. They thought it had been a big deal if I got paid to do entertainment in, in America. And at the time I was doing like school parties and stuff and little small mitzvahs. So I didn't think it was a big deal. And I decided to like show them they had a PA system with some like Bollywood CDs. And I recognized some of like the songs that I knew were like more party tracks. So for like 10, 15 minutes, I threw them like a mock party and like spread them out and just danced them out to the music that they had and they knew. And my sister, I don't under, I don't know the language, I can't speak it, but my mm. sister was like my translator and she was like my dancer. And um, we just, I just, after I did that, these girls just like lit up. And then I had a couple thousand rupees left from the trip 
that, you know, we were going to be leaving like the next day. So I wasn't, had no use for it. So we were going to give him the money regardless, but I told him like, Hey, like, I want to know, uh, you know, what, what, what are your passions? Do we have any artists? Do we have any singers? Do we have any dancers? And then these girls just started performing even like this very, this very young, young, that very young, that youngest sister, she like did like a nursery rhyme thing with her like classmates. Um, and I should say she was like five or six at the time. So the really humble moment came is after, you know, we shared this, like these beautiful moments together, uh, before we left, we took like a group photo and, um, when we got done with the group photo, uh, I was saying my goodbyes and I was talking to like me and my sister were talking to like, like two of the nuns. And then all of a sudden I felt like a pull on my shirt and it's this young, youngest sister, little girl who, um, she like, like, you know, signaled for me to like come down to her. And she starts like whispering these questions to me, like asking me questions. And I didn't understand it. So my sister asked her if I could pick her up and she can talk to both of us. And she let me, and then she started talking to me and my sister. And she was asking very simple questions like, who taught you how to dance like that? Um, how, you know, just, just like curious little kids, you know, just wondering why I am, I guess, you know? So, um, you know, and then for like some of the nuns, that was like the first time they even heard her voice. So because like, you know, I threw these kids like a 10, 15 minute party and it even brought this girl to the point of, you know, speaking to me, a person that she's never met before. She's just met like within that hour. Um, you know, it, it made me realize, you know, the strength of what, you know, what my energy can do. And that's, that was kind of like the moment I decided that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be like an MC or be an entertainer forever, no matter what I'm doing. And then it was what, six, about six years later that I started do it all and went into entertainment full time. So, um, I have a legacy project that kind of pays homage to that moment, but you know, yeah, that's, that's my career and why, why I got into it really those two big moments. Before we wrap up, I want to take a quick second and introduce a new segment to the show because I really believe in helping friends and cross-promoting artists and I really believe in supporting local and indie artists. So at the end of most of the following episodes, I'm going to be showcasing an indie musician and one of their songs. So stay tuned to the end of the episode to check out and support indie artists. Stories make us feel a little more connected to the world. Maybe you're an IT person sitting in a room wondering if there's any other IT people out there and if they shared the same story you did. Or if you're a podcaster trying to get your podcast off the ground. Or maybe you're a videographer like me and you're trying to take the world by storm and show everyone your beautiful art. No matter what's happening to you or how you feel, know that you're not alone. We're all in this story called life together. Do you have a story about what your career is and how you got to it? Of course you do, and I would love to hear it. Send us an email or a voice audio clip to behindeverystory at gmail.com. 
Thank you so much for joining us here on Behind Every Story. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast streaming app or sharing our podcast to your friends and family or just jump on Facebook under someone else's page and shoot it over to random people. That's more fun. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook at Behind Every Story Podcast to stay up to date on all our new episodes. And you can always find us at BehindEveryStory.com. Great storytellers make the world a smaller and more intimate place. Thank you to all the storytellers out there, big and small. And thank you to our guests this week, Al, Brett, Bob, Brandon, Chris, Chris, Daniel, John, Lauren, Ryan, M, Mark, Marie, Michael, Potato Johnson, Rob, Sarah, Stella, Sean, and Zach. I've been your storyteller, Jason Osterkamp, and it's been a pleasure sitting around the campfire with you. Join us again next time when we get to ask everyone, what do you collect and why do you collect it? I'll see you next time on Behind Every Story. This is I Wish I Were a Dinosaur, formerly known as the Former Fat Boys, and and when I asked him what song he would like me to play on here, he said just pick whichever one. So I'm going to go ahead and go with that recommendation and choose one of my favorites of the songs that he has made. This song is inspired by the comic book and the upcoming movie at that time when he made it, uh, Scott Pilgrim, and it's called Seven Evil Exes. Enjoy. It's crazy, this girl's got me wrapped around a little thing She's skating through my dreams, but I cannot say I've ever seen her She's got an attitude, she's got a fantastic butt But I'm playing with knives, so I just may get cut Cause these are the details of my precious little life As I try to find a way to make it all work out alright It's like it's all been paused, and she just pushed the start I could take on Ganon, now her potion refilled all my hearts Alexis and no exes to run to the O one two. It's only forward, can't go back. No control Z to undo. I, I got a crazy ex who is slightly underage, filled with rage, obsessed with my sex. Bob, I'm on and off the stage, and what I lack in confidence, I make up in spaz. And when I fly an array of demonic hips, the chicks attacks. I just reflect the blast and it back. Stop tonight, they'll drop hard when I
That's all part of the plan.